Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Scripture reading for today comes from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. For learning about wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealings, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, let the wise also hear and gain in learning, and the discerning acquire skill to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Fairfax, thank you for that warm welcome, and I'm glad to hear that they become full, mature adults when they start college. That's good to hear. as, a, as a, a parent of a new college student. Uh, well, greetings, everyone, uh, from the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia and from my wife, Marianne, and, of course, our daughter, Eleanor, whom you've heard about already this morning. Unfortunately, they couldn't be with me here today, but they do send their, their warm wishes to all of you. It's, it's great to be back here in Ann Arbor and here at this church where I served, as you heard, on the session and sang in the choir, actually, in the early part of the century, which... Sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? (laughs) And I was working at the time in the legal office at the University of Michigan. Our daughter, Eleanor, actually did attend Sunday school here, and she was a star bearer in the Christmas pageant. Do you remember? uh, Some of you, I don't know if you still do that, but the, the stars were on these big sticks that seemed taller than Eleanor at the time, and I accompanied her to make sure that she didn't poke anyone in the eye because we thought that might put a damper on the Christmas story, so... Uh, Speaking of uh, Eleanor, she is now uh, a college student herself. We dropped her off a couple of weeks ago at Miami University of Ohio, uh, where she will be studying theater. And people are constantly asking my wife and I, what what does it feel like to have an empty nest? While it's true that our house is a bit quieter, we still have 21,000 other students at James Madison University to worry about. So I like to think of it as a very large nest and a very large family. And at this time of transitions and new beginnings, it's a great privilege and honor to be back here in this educational and spiritual community where I learned so much. I understand that on University Sunday, you focus on the intersection of faith and work in our lives. As someone with a passion for education, I love this theme because it relates directly to the role of education in our lives as Christians. The Bible calls on us to be lifelong learners and to develop the gifts God has given us to be of service to others and to live out our faith in community. To answer this call, we need to educate both the head and the heart, a message we all need to hear in today's troubled world. And with that, let us turn to the New Testament lesson from the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. And this is a familiar story of Jesus as a student in the temple. Hear the word of the Lord. 
Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of the Lord. We, we Presbyterians have always loved education to help us learn about our faith, and it starts early, like we saw this morning. We have children's sermons, and Sunday school lessons, and then confirmation class. I grew up in a very small Presbyterian church in Chilai, New York. That's a suburb of Rochester that is spelled like the food chili, C-H-I-L-I. Like many of you, perhaps, I took the confirmation class in middle school. I remember that I was one of those annoying students who asked a lot of questions. After the class was over, our pastor urged me to participate in the class again the next year. I know, right? Now, he said he he thought I could help facilitate discussion the next year. And I'd like to think that was the real reason for his suggestion rather than a conclusion that I was a slow learner, although many of us can probably relate to that feeling at times, especially when it comes to our faith. The pastor encouraged me by saying that the curriculum would be different that next year, although I think the basic Christian story has the same beginning and ending. As he asserted quite convincingly, though, there's always more to learn. And he was certainly right. I've never forgotten that lesson. Like many of you, I'd imagine, even now, my wife and I participate in an adult Sunday school class with a wide range of ages. We take turns facilitating, which means we are all students and we are all teachers. I'm inspired in my Christian educational journey by the words of one of my wise colleagues at JMU who says, I reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow than I am today. That colleague's father happened to be a pastor, by the way. Indeed, this passion for learning is deeply embedded in our Christian heritage. Starting at the beginning, with the book of Genesis, we learn that humankind was created in the image of God with free will and the ability to ask questions. And the opening passage in Proverbs that you heard exhorts us all to learn, noting that 
fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's perhaps no surprise, then, that the only real story we have in the Bible about the formative years in the life of Jesus is focused on the young Jesus as a student in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. I love the statement at the end of that passage that says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. Think about that for a moment. Even Jesus increased in wisdom through study with other people. This story says a lot about the identity of Jesus and about his purpose. If we fast forward in the New Testament to his public ministry, we hear Jesus referred to frequently as rabbi or teacher. So Jesus was both student and teacher. As Christians, I believe we too are called upon to play both of these roles in our faith journeys as students and as teachers. But what does it mean to answer the call to be a student and teacher in the faith? Does it mean we all need to go to seminary? Of course, that's a wonderful track for those in our midst who have a facility for Latin and Greek, among other things, right, Fairfax? But but I, I think the key is something even more fundamental. Like most questions in our faith, we get important clues from the way Jesus lived his life. Jesus teaches through preaching, to be sure, but it's more than just words. Jesus is constantly illustrating his teachings through his relationships with other people. He puts his faith in action by loving and serving in community with others. Thus, as we see in Jesus' ministry, education is first and foremost about relationships. Recently, my family and I were in Rome, where we visited the Vatican. While there, we saw Raphael's masterpiece, The School of Athens, a large and impressive painting, many of you may be familiar with it, which features many of the great philosophers, including Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. The painting depicts these great minds sharing ideas with one another and reminds us of how wisdom is passed down through the ages from one generation to the next. Even in this age of online courses and digital technology, the most powerful, inspirational, and transformative learning takes place when people interact closely with one another. I think that's true in a university setting, and even more so when it comes to education in the Christian faith. And that is where all of us come in. We all have things we can teach through our relationships with other people, and not just biology, chemistry, or history, but also patience, wisdom, forgiveness, and love. This kind of teaching and sharing is a way to enable the Holy Spirit to do its work through and with us in the world. It's a powerful way to live out Jesus' commandment to love one another. But exercising our faith in community is not just about teaching or giving and sharing our own gifts. It is also about learning and receiving, being open to learning from and with the people all around us who have their own gifts to share with us. Living in community means that we maintain our curiosity and humility. 
to keep learning from and with other people. No matter how old or learned we might be, I believe that we need to approach our faith with a mindset that we do not have all the answers. Like my colleague at work, we should all reserve the right to be smarter tomorrow than we are today when it comes to our understanding of our faith. God created a beautiful, complex world and universe all around us to explore. Just as he sent Abram on a journey to a faraway place, I believe he intended for us to keep learning and growing and to go beyond our own comfort zones. Indeed, that's exactly what Jesus asked of his own disciples. And we get out of those comfort zones when we open our minds and hearts to learn from our tremendous human diversity. When I was here at the University of Michigan, I spent several years studying and developing arguments to support the educational benefits of diversity for students of all backgrounds, a principle that we defended, by the way, all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. I have seen that principle in action, and I think it applies to us in our Christian life as well. All too often in our world, in our neighborhoods, schools, jobs, and yes, even in our churches, we get all too comfortable and complacent with being segregated in groups where we all think and act alike. We think we have it all figured out, and we shut out any voices or perspectives that might challenge our assumptions. Just a few weeks ago in Charlottesville, just one hour away from my campus, we saw how fear and ignorance of the other, that is, of people who might have a different race or ethnicity or religion, can lead people to turn away from learning and to commit violent acts that are contrary to everything Jesus taught us. Instead of fearing or resisting the rich human diversity that God has given to us, we should embrace it as a learning opportunity. As Christians and as human beings, we all have something to contribute when we learn and grow together in community, and we all have a lot to learn. On the same trip this summer when we were in Rome, we also spent several days in Kosovo. The customs agent at the Frankfurt airport joked that we must be visiting relatives or conducting business because he said, nobody goes to Kosovo on vacation. Anybody been there by chance? Uh, well, as you may know, Kosovo is one of the world's newest democracies. It's a tiny, landlocked country that was part of the former communist nation of Yugoslavia. This small, newly independent nation has survived war and genocide and has the youngest population in Europe. The Kosovars are intently focused on protecting the rights of people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds to avoid a tragic repetition of their recent history. My university is working with their education ministry to strengthen their system of higher education. When I asked the Minister of Education why he wanted to work with us, he said he observed that our people cared about educating both the head and the heart. That, he said, is what we need here in Kosovo. Kosovo is a predominantly Muslim country, and while there, I continually found myself asking questions about my own Christian faith and how it might apply in this situation. 
just as the Kosovars say they have a lot to learn from us with regard to our structures and policies and higher education, we have much to learn from them as a young nation that is genuinely wrestling with questions of diversity and democracy. The minister's observation about educating the head and the heart is what we need as Christians, too. So as Christians, how do we educate the head and the heart? And how can we use this openness to teaching and learning to live out our faith in community with other people? Once again, for me, the answer starts with the central role of relationships. We keep learning and growing when we open ourselves intentionally to new relationships that might sometimes take us out of our comfort zones and through which we can learn from and with others at every stage of our lives. Those relationships can start anywhere and at any time. Since we're here in a college town near the start of a new school year, let me give an example from the perspective of a first-year college student. Many years ago, there was a young college student in his freshman year at Swarthmore College near Philadelphia. He was a bit lonely, homesick, and unsure of himself. Out of the blue, his pastor from his home church, seven hours away, accepted a call to a church close to Swarthmore and invited the young college student to visit his church. The pastor introduced the young man to the congregation, told them that the young man liked to sing, which was true, and asked if anyone would give him a ride to choir rehearsals and church services since the young man did not have a car. In other words, he was going to be in church every Sunday. <laughs> so George and Jackie, a couple whose own children had recently left the nest and gone away to college, lived near the campus and volunteered to give rides to the shy freshmen. For the next four years, George and Jackie, Jackie essentially adopted this young man like one of their own and helped him to feel like a part of the community beyond the walls of the campus. Through this relationship, the young man learned about Christian hospitality from them, along with many other life lessons. Likewise, George and Jackie enjoyed opportunities to learn at numerous campus events that they attended with their new friend. Some 30 years later, George and Jackie traveled to Virginia to attend the young man's inauguration, well, he may not be so young by this point, as president of a university where he'd be responsible for watching over thousands of young people like that lonely freshman. As you've probably figured out by now, that young man who's not so young anymore was me. And the pastor at that church near Swarthmore College was the same one who had urged me to take the confirmation class twice back in childhood. <laughs> so I, I once asked Jackie how I could possibly repay her and George for the time and attention they'd so generously shared with me. She replied, someday you may have the chance to help a young person in a similar situation. So don't think about repaying us, but pay it forward. Jackie passed away earlier this year after a heroic battle with cancer. But the example she and her husband set taught me how Christianity needs community to truly come alive. We need each other to share and exercise our faith just as students and teachers need one another. Like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, we too can pay it forward 
to the next generation. All these years later, I think about Jackie and George every year when I welcome a new cohort of students to JMU. When I first meet with these new students, some of whom might also be a bit lonely or homesick or unsure of themselves, I ask them to reflect upon a simple question, paraphrasing Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. What will you do with your education, your gifts, your talents and passions to be of service to others? As Christians, that's the same question we need to keep asking ourselves. We can seek answers by being intentional about participating actively in communities built on relationships where we can learn from and with each other and by pushing ourselves to get outside of those comfort zones to ensure that those relationships extend to people who are very different from us. If we pursue our lifelong Christian education in this purposeful way, we can develop the head and the heart and be a part of the Holy Spirit's work in the world. God gave us all gifts to develop and share. He wants us to educate our heads and our hearts and to use our knowledge and our gifts in service to others. He wants us all to be students and teachers, each in our own way. Through such relationships, faith and work can intersect and bear fruit in exciting and unexpected ways. The opportunities are all around us every day if we open our minds and our hearts. Amen. And let us continue on in a spirit of prayer. Please pray with me. God of all seasons, this world is in your hands. In the churning winds and pouring rain, in the rising waters and the spreading fear, in the uncertainty of what lies ahead for our country and culture and community, we turn to the source and certainty and strength that we can find only in you. This day we celebrate the gift of learning, growing, and becoming. We lift up our students to you and we remember the student in each one of us who hungers for stimulation and curiosity, who harbors passion for service, who hopes and wonders, recognizes how much we do not know. We celebrate the gift of community, people of integrity, the opportunity to try and fail and try again. Just now, the cool, crisp air begins to arrive and the school bell rings and regularity returns as football's passionate rivalries and incredible athleticism once again are on stage. The apples are ripe, the donuts better than at any other time of year. The leaves faithfully and slowly fall and beckon us forward into this season. We know without question, then, that life with all its hardship is still beautiful. More beautiful is the gift you have given us to know and learn of you, the treasure of our faith that sustains us, the challenge of our faith that at times perplexes us. For the grace of change and the promise of growth and renewal, we are inspired at every turn by how you have created us and the whole world. We pray this day for the youngest among us, our children, our youth, our college students, 
that they are growing up in the midst of a world that too often appears to be lacking in hope and devoid of civility and full of despair. And at times this world portrays you as very small. In this place and in the whole of our lives, help us express our trust in you without hesitation, that we would never sacrifice our faith on any of the world's altars. Our prayers are for the whole world, all countries, people and place who lack love and seek peace, those who are living hungry or on the run or captive to oppression or being held captive, those whose lives are defined and lived by injustice. Our prayers are for ourselves that we might pray for others more boldly, more faithfully, less selfishly. Lord of heaven and earth, of sea and sky, we look upon sisters and brothers in need in Florida in Texas, in Mexico, and the islands demolished by weather disasters. We pray for those right now in the paths of storms beset by rising waters and violent winds. In such times, we turn to you to be shelter, to be strength, to be comfort and hope, to be there for them in every way. Make of us these things for our brothers and sisters, allowing us to be there, tireless in our presence and in our prayers. Let waters recede to be replaced by a rising tide of compassion. Let winds dissipate to be replaced by the roar of justice and mercy, that all might know you and find safety and hope in the midst of whatever storms they and we are facing. Dear God, as we lay all these needs before you, let your presence inspire us to gratefully live out of darkness and into light, out of sorrow and into hope. We pray with praise using the words our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.